So last week, um, Ethan and I traveled to the great state of Minnesota. And while we were there, I told Ethan, hey, bud, when we were there, we have got to get White Castle for lunch. I remember, I remember getting White Castle. I loved White Castle. I was like, man, I haven't had White Castle in so many years. We have to get White Castle for lunch while we're in Minnesota. The nearest one here is like 40 minutes. We passed it on our way to Newark, and I was like, that, that prompted me to say, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think. We need to get White Castle for lunch while we're out in Minnesota. And, and the reason is because, like, it isn't White Castle... Who has never had White Castle here? Okay. Oh, my. You guys are missing out. Ethan said it was his favorite fast food restaurant after uh, we had it. He said... um it's, it's kind of an American staple. In 1921, 100 years ago today, White Castle was the very first fast food restaurant in America. Did you guys know that? Yeah. The reason that um, fast food restaurants began gaining so much um, traction early on in the 20th century is because the, the family centricity was already beginning to fray as an instant gratification culture was, was beginning to take take root. And so restaurants, hundreds of them, fast food restaurants began to capitalize on America's need to have things now. America's need to have things now. We are impatient. We are rushed. We are busy. We need things now, right? We need things now. Who gets irritated when two-day shipping isn't available to you on Amazon? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that even feel like a little too long sometimes? Who's irritated when you have to wait a week between shows? Hawkeye, why? Why not just put them all out? Come on, Disney Plus, why do you do this to us, right? Follow the Netflix example and just put them all out. We can binge watch. We do not like to wait. We are Americans. We do not wait for things. This past week, we were supposed to get a puppy dog, and we had already delayed her arrival um, because the week we were going to get her, Emily and I were both traveling that week. There was no way we were going to entrust our kids to raise this puppy on their own um and but then when we we called we called up the breeder and we're like hey we were gonna come out and he's like no she's actually sick her siblings are sick we want to keep her another week and our kids it was you might as well have thought it was the end of the world right our kids had to wait two weeks to get this puppy dog but hopefully tomorrow we're gonna go get our puppy or new addition to our family super excited about that uh it used to be the case that if you wanted to eat that you had to grow a crop or go hunt an animal It used to be the case that if you were lonely, you had to travel somewhere to meet someone. It used to be the case that if you wanted entertainment, you had to wait for that show to travel through town to watch it. And it used to be the case that people were generally happier. Several studies over the last 20 years show that specifically in Western countries, relationships are eroding faster than ever before. Work is less meaningful and personal health is declining all because of our desire and our need to be instantly gratified. It's easy to see how waiting on another could erode a relationship, right? If I get ornery because it takes Emily 45 minutes to get ready to leave the house, when I can be ready in three minutes, and that includes brushing my teeth and showering, then... then my inability to wait, my need to get what I want when I, when I want it will erode that relationship. And, and it's not that time for men and women has drastically changed over the years, that the time it takes us to get ready has drastically changed over the years. It's just that we're not accustomed to having to wait for anything. We're just not. We are not accustomed to having to wait for anything. And so patience is a lost virtue. Think of your health. I get home, I'm hungry, I can't wait for dinner, right? We say this, our kids say this all the time, I can't wait for dinner. And so we go rummage through the pantry and we start eating this junk food and then 5.30 comes around and you know what? I'm just really not hungry anymore. (laughs) 
I, I, the protein and the vegetables that I'm now going to eat. I filled up on chips and junk food. But then 9 o'clock rolls around and I'm hungry again. And so, I don't know, I'm going to go rummage through the pantry and I'm going to eat that junk food again. And all of a sudden I've gained 60, 70, 80 pounds. The simple truth is we live in a culture that provides us access to too much. We have access to too much within our culture. We've eliminated the need for waiting for anything. And this actually does us a lot of harm. If, if you think about it, our phones, our phones, they are the seven deadly sins provider. You may think, who is your provider? Uh, Verizon? Uh, uh, Comcast? No, seven deadly sins. That's my provider of my phone. Catholic theology suggests that there are seven sins, lust, gluttony, greed, pride, envy, wrath, and sloth. And we carry these around in our pockets, and then we entrust this to our adolescents, and we say, mature, <laughs> develop normally as a, as a high-functioning human being with all of these accesses in your pocket. And then we give them to ourselves, and we're not any better, right? Come on, like, and we say, hey, be a mature adult, be responsible, and and we have access to all of these 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 opportunities, opportunities in our pockets. Again, it used to be the case that if you wanted to satisfy your lust, man, it took some effort. Now there are thousands of websites in your pocket that will allow you to do that. You feel gluttony coming on? DoorDash, there's an app for that. can come and help you with that. When I was in high school, I had to drive 45 minutes to the casino. Now there's an app for that in my pocket. I can just gamble right there to satisfy my greed. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok runs on the engine of pride. Twitter runs on the engine of wrath. Amazon runs on the engine of envy. And this whole package makes us sink down into sloth. Most people no longer know how to wait peacefully, to be still, to be silent, to listen, to slow down. So when you're waiting for the movie to start, what do you do? Pull out your phone. And when you're waiting in line for the cashier at the store, what do you do? You pull out your phone. We no longer have to wait for anything. And we fill this, this, this gap, this gap between, between our, 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 our where we are now and where we want to be, and we fill it and we stuff it with entertainment and apps and food and Everything else that we can just access at the tip of our finger. And there's no expectation that we are ever still or silent or reserved. We no longer have to listen or pray. And it's only driving a relationship then into a wedge into our relationship also with God. And the more we shove God into the corners of our lives, the more we're going to hurt and the more the world is going to hurt. So when everything is accessible at our fingertips, it's easy to turn to God and say, God, why are you making me wait? Nothing else in the world do I have to wait for ever. I have access to everything I want when I want it. So God, why are you making me wait? God, what's taking so long? God, are you even listening? I mean, I've been praying this prayer for years now and nothing has changed. And nothing has happened. Do you even care? I mean, maybe, maybe you've been praying that the Lord would heal you of migraines. Perhaps you're asking God to bring a loved one to Christ. Maybe perhaps that God would, would give you a job with real benefits that you could provide for your family. Maybe you're asking God to heal your depression. Maybe you're, God, maybe you're asking God to bring a spouse into your life or a child. And yet the more you pray and the less you see, the more you wonder, God, are you even there? Do you even care? Are you even with me? 
in these questions and in these prayers? And here's what I believe. I think, I think that God actually loves us too much to give us everything we want the minute we want it. I, I think he does. And I believe this in part because I know as good parents that, that we all don't just give our kids everything they want the minute they want it. Do we? I mean, less and less of us may abide by that principle, but like, we don't give our kids everything they want the minute they want it. I mean, we shouldn't. We, we do far too often, but when we do it, we do it out of our own insecurity, I think. See, our inability to say no to our children when they're throwing fits in the toy aisle really tells us more about ourselves than it does about them. We don't want the embarrassment or the shameful looks, and so we cave into our kids. We cave into our kids because it's easier on us, even if it's more harmful on them. But what kind of kids are we producing when they never want for anything? When they're never told no? When they never have to wait or develop character? Or when they never, they never have to suffer? When they never have to fail? When they always get to succeed and when they want for nothing? What kind of kids are we developing? What kind of future are we creating? We do our, our kids, not to mention ourselves, a great disservice when we give them what they want the minute they want it. Sometimes my kids will ask me something, and even though it's available and I have it, I'll tell them no just because of this principle alone. That sometimes it is better for them to not get what they want, even if what they want is available. You see, God doesn't, print, God doesn't parent us out of our insecurities, as we often do to our own kids. He does so out of love, knowing that developing people is a long game. It's a long game. See, intentional parents cast a vision for the type of person their child is going to be, and they parent their children to that end, intentionally parent their children to that end. So if you want hardworking, responsible, fun-loving, fun-to-be-around, kind, generous kids, you are responsible to mold them to be so. Guess what, friends? The world is never going to teach your kids how to be generous. The world is never going to teach your kids how to be loving or kind or responsible. The world will teach your kids how to be selfish and greedy and manipulative. The world will never teach you those qualities. And so if you want your kids to be hardworking, loving, kind, generous, fun-loving, fun-to-be-around people, you need to teach them to do that. And God does this too. His vision for all of us, every single one of us, is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. He has a vision for us as well. God has cast a vision for every single one of us that we would be conformed into his image. And if we are here, not yet like Christ, but God wants us here where we are like Christ, we must realize that there is a gap of space and time in between that. This gap requires waiting. It just does. It's the nature of of not being like Christ yet. So the question is, what do you do with the gap? What do you do in the gap? The word in our English Bible that we translate wait in the New Testament could be perimeno or apoctic. I practiced this like 10 times and I still can't do it. Apoctectomai. You, you, you can read it. You're all smart people. <laughs> Apoc decomai speaks of enduring something. I'm simply waiting for time to pass, like t from time to get from point A to point B. 
This is what too many of us fall into this, right? We fall into this, this endurance game where we're just trying to get from point A to point B, where, where Perimeno speaks of, of, of growing from the journey from point A to point B. It doesn't merely speak of the allotted time, but somehow through this experience, in the end, we'll have something to show for the time of our waiting. Think of a garden. You plant seeds, and maybe three months later, you have an edible crop. Take some time. Now, the person who simply endures that three months may just sit there, waiting day by day, and every gardener will tell you that if that is all you do, you will never have a crop to harvest in the end. If all you do is simply wait there for your crops to grow, and you do not protect it from pests, you don't water it, you don't give it the sunlight it needs, you don't give it the protection, you don't care for it and cultivate that garden, you will never get a crop because it'll die. But, but perimental, right? When you have a crop, well, well, you're there, you're tending to it, you're growing along with it, you're, you're helping it, you're assisting it, you're working it. In the midst of its, if you're waiting for that crop to be harvested, you are participating in its growth so that when the fruit is produced, you can harvest it. Paul said this in Romans. He said that waiting produces character. Perimeno, perseverance, produces character. It does something in you. It produces something in you. But it takes work. It takes perspective. It takes you to do something in the midst of your waiting. So what is God then doing while we're waiting? What what is God doing in the gap? We know we have a responsibility. What is God doing in the gap? Well, it it depends on how you choose to see the gap and and what you choose to do with the time that you've been given inside of that gap. Right? You can just endure. You can dig your heels in the ground. you You can cross your arms and you can have nothing to show for it. Or you can persevere. You can surrender more, you could draw closer to God, you could submit more, you could read more, you could gather together with friends more, you could learn to be the person that will honor the blessing that you are waiting for. We, in other words, we have a responsibility in the gap. It's not that we are just supposed to sit there and wait and stomp our heels and say, God, why aren't you doing anything right now? I'm waiting, God. Where are you, God? I'm waiting, God. When is it going to happen, God? I've been praying for 10 years, God. Stamp our feet cross our arms, get angry and frustrated. Or we can take up the mantle of responsibility and persevere. We have a responsibility in the gap. If you have a vision to be married, what do you do while you wait? Well, I would encourage you to become the person that someone else is looking for. Develop the character you need to be a spouse, a servant, so that you'll honor the blessing when it comes. You want a child? You want to be a parent? Become the person that your child will need. Read the books. Practice patience so that you'll honor the blessing when it comes. You need a job? Well, my friends, develop a work ethic before you get the job. Stop sleeping in until 1030. Start getting up and working, volunteering, cleaning the house, raking your neighbor's leaves, doing something to get you up and developing a work ethic. Develop the traits that employee is looking for so that when the blessing comes, you'll be able to honor the blessing. You can cross your arms, you can pout, you can stomp your feet, you can complain that you have to wait, or you can persevere. You can let this time that you have develop you and develop your character and develop you into a person that is going to be honor the blessing when it does, in fact, come. But God, I think, is also working alongside our waiting. 
There's a character actually in the Christmas story that we rarely talk about. His name is Simeon. And we are told this in Luke chapter 2. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had been waiting his entire life for Israel to be comforted. And in this infant Jesus, he finds the comfort that he had been looking for. This is exactly what most people in the Bible felt like. He is not alone in this. God promised to send a Messiah. He would send a Savior to redeem the world. And every single character in Scripture had been waiting for the Messiah. And yet, nothing. They'd wait their whole lives, and yet nothing. They'd wait centuries and millennial, and yet nothing. From the beginning of the human story, God promised to send a Savior. You probably know how the story goes. Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin, they reject and rebel against God, and they're ashamed. And so God says something very astonishing that is going to cast a shadow over the entire story of Scripture. In this moment... When Adam and Eve have sinned and rebelled against him, God comes to them and he says this. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. There will be an offspring born of a female, a human being, that eventually will strike the head of evil, that will rid the world of this problem, that will get rid of the evil and the corruption that the world is enslaved to. Somehow, Through this child, born of a woman, God will rid the world of sin. We could pick it up anywhere in the Old Testament. Isaiah, who lived 2,000 years after Abraham, who lived who knows how many thousands of years after Adam and Eve, said 700 years before Jesus, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, There is a million examples in scripture, example after example of people prophesying and longing their entire lives to see the Messiah, and yet not a single one of them ever saw the Messiah. They waited their entire life, and they wondered, God, when are you going to rid the world? When are you going to do this for us? When, God? When, God? When, God? We are waiting. And so what is God doing while we are waiting? What's God doing while you're waiting for healing or a blessing or reconciliation or provision? What is God doing in those circumstances and those experiences, right? You're in pain. You need healing. Your relationships, they're eroding. You're looking for answers. What in the world, God, are you doing in the midst of all of this? And those are fair questions, and I would really encourage you to ask God those questions. Because when we ask God questions, we prove that we are in a relationship with God, that God isn't just a great vending machine in the sky, that he's not just a genie in a bottle in the sky that we approach when we're in great need, but it proves that we are in a relationship with God when we communicate with God about what is going on every single day of our lives. It tells us, right, it it convinces us, it proves that we are in a relationship with with a God who loves us and a God who cares for us? And so ask God those questions when you have them. God, what are you doing here? Why are you making me wait? What am I supposed to learn from this waiting? But in the midst of of your waiting, I, I want to remind you that just because God feels silent doesn't mean that he's absent. We sometimes get caught up in that trap sometimes, I think, right? God feels silent, therefore he must be absent, and that's certainly not true what is god doing while you're waiting i think i've discovered that while we're waiting god is working god is working while we're waiting while we're wondering behind the scenes the goodness and the power and the provision and the grace of god he has always been working on us and in the world he is working to bring all things to good Paul wrote in Romans, God loves us. He is our father. He has a great plan for us. He wants to see us thrive. He wants to see us blessed. And so God is working behind the scenes even while we are waiting. 
God's timing might be mysterious, but God's timing is always intentional. Actually, there's a verse in the New Testament that speaks to this. Paul is writing to the Christians in Galatians, and he says, When the set time had finally come, when the time had finally come, the, the, the time that God had been waiting for, what did he do? He sent his son, born of a woman. Remember Genesis 3, right? Born of a woman. Under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So at the perfect time, when the time was right, when the time was perfect, when it was the right time, God sent his son to purchase us out of sin, to redeem us, to offer us forgiveness, to give us his grace, to rid the world of sin, of death. Our God did that when the time was right. Our God did that in the perfect time. The, the two words translated time had fully come in are the words peri, per, man, I got to study some more Greek, I think, because this is, it's been about 10 years since I've uh, studied Greek in depth. Pleroma chronu. Think of chronology, the word time. It's like a clock going around. Pleromu chronu. It means the fullness of time or the complete time or the time that is perfect. In other words, when it's not time, I don't think we can force God's hand, but when it is time, nothing can stop God's hand. At the perfect time, when the time was right, when the time was right, and scripture begins to tie all of these pieces together, right? Jesus came born of a woman, centuries passed, people were waiting for the Savior, millennials passed, right? The entire history of the world has been waiting for this Messiah, but when the time had finally come, when the time was perfect, when the time was right, God sent his son into the world. And so when did God fulfill his promise to send the Messiah? When the time was right. When the time was right, at the perfect moment, God sent his son. And, and looking back, we can see why God waited. And sometimes, you all know this, hindsight often allows us to see the why behind the wait. In the midst of our waiting, we're like, God, what are you doing here? I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from this, God. I don't know why this is so painful. I don't know why you just won't give me what I want when I want it, God. But sometimes later, when we look back, we say, absolutely, I can see the why behind the wait. Right now, I can't see it, but years from now, you look back and you say, wow, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he did. Sometimes in hindsight, you can see the why behind the the wait. And when we look back, we can see exactly why God waited for the perfect time. He says that his ways are always good. And just because God feels silent doesn't mean that he's absent. So whenever you're waiting, remember, my friends, that God is working. God is always at work. God is working. And what did that perfect time entail? Well, to to answer that important question, I want to actually jump into the intertestamental period. Why did God wait for that first century to send his his, his son? What was going on in the world? Why did he wait all this time? Well, if we look at the intertestamental period, a number of things actually pop out that make us understand and realize maybe why God decided to wait and when the time finally became perfect. The intertestamental period is that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew in our Bible. When you flip over to Malachi and the New Testament, 400 years has passed. And we don't, we don't get to understand. If you grew up Catholic, you may have known that they have a section of scripture called the Apocrypha that kind of fills into that gap a little bit. And so we do get an understanding of the history of that time. But in our Protestant scriptures, we do not have that. So 400 years has passed. And in this time, God didn't speak at all. 
which made things way more difficult because before, when they're waiting for the Savior, at least God was speaking to them, but now God wasn't speaking at all, and so they heard nothing. And, and I'm guessing that sometimes, maybe in your waiting, friends, do you ever feel this way? When you're waiting for something, when you don't know what's going on, and you, you have this vision, you have this desire that God has placed this upon your heart, and you're waiting for it, and you hear nothing from God, and you hear no word from God, isn't it frustrating? Isn't it sad? Isn't it irritating sometimes? I'm guessing some of you probably feel this way. You're you're praying for something. You're having faith for something, believing something, and yet you've got no word from God. You've got no sign, no sign that God is hearing you, no sign that he's active, no sign that he even cares, and all you want is an answer. And it just doesn't seem to be there. And so give me a sign, God. Give me, show me something. Give me anything. And yet, for some of you, there's nothing. And so what is God doing while we're waiting? Well, he is working. He's preparing the revelation, he is preparing the blessing, he's preparing us so that we will honor the blessing when it comes. A friend of mine from high school recently posted on Facebook about how when he was 11 years old, he received an inheritance from his grandfather. But there was a clause in this inheritance where that he could not actually um, open it or access it until he was 40 years old. Can you imagine that as an 11-year-old? You get this huge sum of money, you're like, yeah, but you can't have it till you're 40 and he was like, but I want that new gaming system now. And I want the bike now. And when he turned 16, he said, well, I wanted the car when I was 16. When, when I was 22, I wanted my student loans paid off. And when I was 30, I wanted a house. There are all these things that he wanted and he, he needed and he had this great sum of money. And he was irritated. And now that he's 40, he, he's getting this sum of money and, and all of his debts are paid off. And he owns his own car and he, he has the house. But throughout those years, he learned the value of working hard, and he learned the value of earning. His grandfather knew, and my friend admitted this, that giving an 11-year-old or an 18-year-old that kind of money would have made him spoiled and entitled and lazy. So he waited, and now these resources are being used to benefit others because the character he developed while persevering, not just throwing a fit and enduring 29 years, waiting for point A to point B to pass, Letting his character develop, it formed him into a generous, caring person. And so the money now is being used to help other people rather than just buying a bunch of crap that's going to sit on a pile somewhere in a junk heap. God is working in our waiting, friends. Will we allow him to mold us? Will we allow him to shape us and to form us? So back to that intertestamental period, that 400 years between the Old and, Old and New Testament, there are a number of interesting things that are taking place. And I want to give you five just five things that I, that I can see in, in my study of the intertestamental period that were taking place that I think prepared the world for the coming of the Messiah. The first thing is this, Alexander the Great. You've all heard that name, right? He conquered the entire known world at that day. And then he Hellenized, which means that he basically at least introduced Greek and its philosophies and its, and its uh, systems into the world, its language, its culture into the world. And so all of the world to some degree became Greek when Alexander the Great conquered it. The second thing is that during this time, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Okay, makes sense. The language that everybody spoke. Now, everybody throughout the entire known world could have access to the promises of the Messiah during this time. The third thing is that the Socratic method was introduced. For those of you studying the candy cane, this is where I developed this in my study of this. Uh, that's where that clue came from. Very important clue, by the way. Was he paying attention? Okay. 
This was a new way of learning that emerged. For the first time, instead of teaching one way, teachers would just throw a bunch of information into people. Now, students were, were encouraged to ask questions of, of, of people, of their teachers. They learned by asking just instead of hearing. The fourth thing is that in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks and the Pax Romanum began, which is an unprecedented time of peace throughout the world. It didn't last for all that long, but there was a, a time of peace throughout the world, which allowed the Romans to build roads. They took all of their armies and they turned them into construction workers. And now roads and pathways were created to the entire known world. And then the last thing is that the diaspora of the Jewish people began here. The, the Jews, you know, in the, in the first century and beyond, were, were congregating for the most part in Palestine and Jerusalem. And so this scattered the Jews throughout all of what was then the Roman world. And so where are you, God? What, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you making us wait? What are you doing in the season of silence? Well, in those 400 years when people wondered what God was and what he was doing, suddenly for the first time, everybody could read the Bible in a language they understood. For the first time, they were not only allowed but encouraged to ask questions of the God who had answers. Out of nowhere, for the first time in the history of the world, the good news of the Savior could travel through a common language, across roads and highways, through a Jewish people who were spread throughout the entire Roman world, then to the Gentiles and beyond. In other words, while God's people were waiting, God was still working preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah. In the same way, while you are praying, while you are wondering, while you are asking, while you're hoping, in your waiting, my friends, you need to believe that God is still at work. He's always working behind the scenes. So some of you right now, you're kind of in a holding pattern. And I get that. And I get that you're feeling that. And you're waiting and you're believing and you're doing everything that you know to do, trusting God who says that he can, and yet he hasn't. You might be wondering, what did I do wrong, God? Have I failed? Is it a lack of faith? Is there sin in my life? Have I let you down? Does God even care about me? If you're waiting, you're not alone. You know, Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years after the promise of Isaac to, for the birth of Isaac, 25 years for a child. There's a woman in the Old Testament who, for 12 years, she had, she had this issue of bleeding. 12 years, she suffered every single day of her life before she touched the hem of Jesus' cloak. 38 years, the man who brought his friends to the four people who brought their friends on a mat, 38 years of his life, he couldn't walk. And he wondered, God, what are you doing? Where are you, God, in all this? While you're waiting, you're not alone. While you're waiting, you may not see anything, but you need to know that God is working. While you're hoping, while you're wondering, God is waiting. And I hope that there is somebody who will hold on to this very important truth this morning, my friends, that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. They're just not. Just because he hasn't done or given you what you've asked for in the moment does not mean that he is denying you forever. Maybe it's just not time yet. In other words, while you're waiting on it, while you're waiting for an answer, while you're waiting on it, while you're waiting on that miracle that provision, that relationship, whatever it is, maybe the reason you're waiting on it is because it's not ready yet. Maybe it's not ready yet. Maybe God is working on it. And while you're waiting, we have a choice as to how we wait, right? We can either just endure and just suffer through it, and we can not attend to that garden, and we'll have no produce to harvest at the end, or we can persevere and we can cultivate it. We have a choice as to how we wait. Maybe... While we're waiting on it, God is getting us ready. 
Maybe he's doing something in you. Maybe you've prayed and believed, I'd get married one day. And you're still single and, and God's actually working on you, preparing you to be a person that somebody else is looking for. Or you're believing that you're going to get a job and he's going to meet the needs that, you've, that, you, that you have. And, and, and maybe it's a job that finally your education, your preparation has, has prepared you for. And you're in this holding zone and you're waiting and you're praying and you're begging and believing. And, and God's going to answer that prayer. But maybe right now he's working on you and he's preparing that job for you and he's working in your life so that you can become a person who is going to be honoring of that blessing when it comes to you. While you're waiting, God is working. He may be working on it. He may be working on you. Like my friend with his inheritance, you may not be ready yet to receive the blessing that God has for you. Are you going to persevere or are you just going to endure, my friends? You have a choice. See, what I found is that God will often do something in you before he does something for you. God oftentimes has to do something in us before he does something for us. He does something in you before he does something for you. And so you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Do not waste the waiting, friends. Don't waste the waiting. You have a choice as to how you endure the waiting, how you persevere through the waiting. Do not waste the waiting. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe you're not ready. Do not waste the waiting. I'm going to invite Emily forward, and we're going to sing one final song as we close out our service this morning. I love what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verse 4. He says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no one has perceived, no eye has ever seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait. God is working, my friends. Behind the scenes, you may not know what he's doing. It may not be clearly understood. It may be a mystery. It may feel confusing, but God is working. And so how are you going to wait, my friends? Do not waste the waiting. You can either choose to endure and just get through it, fold your arms, stomp your feet, dig your heels in and get through it. And when that blessing finally does come, you're going to squander it. You're not going to be prepared for it. Or you can persevere, friends. You can take what is given to you in this moment of waiting and you can say, I'm going to be formed by this. I'm going to let my character develop from this. I'm going to lean more into God. I'm going to surrender more of who I am to God. Less of Christ, uh, less of me, more of God. Less of me, more of Jesus. I'm going to give more of more of myself over to him every single day so that when the blessing does come, I'll be able to honor it and not squander it. Heavenly Father, I want to, on behalf of these people, and I don't know every situation, I don't know what everybody's enduring right now, I don't know what's going on in everybody's life, I don't know the questions or the cries or the bags, I don't, I don't know it, Father, but I do imagine that there are some people here this morning who are wondering what's taking you so long. That you've, you've been... I don't know, like there's, there's people who are hurting because waiting doesn't feel good, especially in this American culture that says we should just have everything we want when we want it. Everything else is accessible to me and why can't I get it now? I want that child, I want that spouse, I want that job. I need it, I need it, I need it now. I needed it yesterday actually, God, and yet it's still not here. And so God, what are you doing? 
And so I, I just I pray that we might have eyes to see, Father, that you are preparing a blessing for us because you want us to be conformed into the image of your Son. That is a blessed, abundant life full of joy. And, and, and you want us to get there, Father. You're preparing that life for us. And I just pray that we would not be a people who squander that blessing when it's come because we just dug our heels in and we got upset and we got ornery and we got confused and we got angry, God, because what we wanted didn't happen now. But let us, Father, in this moment, open up our hands to more of who you are, Father, to change us, to develop us, to conform us, Father, little by little, chip something away in me, break something in me, Father, whatever it is that I need to go through to get to that point where I am like Christ, do it. In this waiting, Father, I open myself up, and I pray that this would be a prayer that we all pray this morning. I open myself up, Father, to being used, to growing, to not having all the answers, Father, but to know that you are working on it and you are working on me. And I thank you for that. Even when I'm confused about why it seems to be taking so long. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.